Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of another week of lockdown and it is time to ask the big questions once more on the only place where you can hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It did not surprise me one jot to find yesterday that trust in television journalism has gone to minus 40 on the Richter scale. There are no more people in the world who are more untrusted by this population of this country than television journalists. Is it any wonder that more and more people are flocking to talk radio in order to get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Question one, why on earth is this ludicrous party on Westminster Bridge being allowed to continue for the second week in a row where police officers, NHS workers, and sundry sycophants gather for a clapping session, completely ignoring social distancing rules and effectively putting lives in danger? Question two, why are the rest of us being prevented from seeing our own children children, our elderly relatives and even our pets while these Muppets completely ignore the law that we are being ordered to obey. And why can't businesses reopen under these same conditions? After all, if you can stand on a bridge next to somebody, why can't you stand outside a pub next to somebody and have a beer, for heaven's sake? This morning, we'll be speaking to Anthony Brown, MP, a member of the Treasury Select Committee, to find out what is going to be done about the banks that are refusing to loan money to small businesses and what is being done for those workers who fall between the cracks because they started a new job in March. After all, it's not their fault. If you've got any questions, please let us know what they are so we can ask them on your behalf. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll visit France and Spain to get the latest on their lockdown easing and what life is like on the streets of Madrid and Paris. Plus, Georgie Frost, consumer journalist, will join us with some news about the pub businesses and she'll answer your consumer questions about TV subscription services as well because you can save some money uh, there absolutely right now. Because it's Friday, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards with Marta Malagon, the highlight of my week, of course. I'm hoping to win quite a few of them. We might get an update from uh, Malibu uh, and or Hollywood and or the Chateau Marmont because, of course, the uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry lawsuit case starts today uh, in the courts of this country. And as ever, we want to hear your stories out there from the front line of the lockdown. Your stories, your knowledge and your problems are all very important to us, so please do get in touch. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Welcome to Friday, April the 24th. It's hard to believe that we've only got another week to go until we get into May, for heaven's sake. And in two weeks' time, we may find out from Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who could be back at work as early as next week, uh, when the lockdown might start to be eased. But let's talk now to Anthony Brown and welcome him uh, as Conservative MP for South Cambridgeshire, member of the Treasury Select Committee. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. I've got to start, I'm afraid, I, I, I want to ask you about the business side of things, but I've got to start with this business on Westminster Bridge last night. After what happened last week, after Cressida Dick apologised, I thought, well, we're not going to see that again. How on earth is it allowed to go on like this? Uh, I, that's a very good question. Everyone should observe the social distancing rules. Uh, I was surprised that it happened again. And uh, I think Cressida Dick should uh, answer questions about why it was allowed to happen. Yeah, and why on earth are we having sort of police officers and members of the NHS clapping themselves effectively. I mean, I'm all for congratulating the NHS and <laughs> saying thank you, but I mean, I didn't realise that it was a sort of self-aggrandisement moment where you clap your own ambulance drivers. Well, look, I mean, the NHS staff are doing an absolutely amazing job, and I think a lot of them are under real pressure. And if you imagine going into work every day and thinking, actually, they might... Uh, you know, a lot of them have had colleagues who have died. They're going to work thinking they might contract this virus, they might come home and infect their family and so on. They well, so are why are they standing so stress. close to one another on Westminster Bridge? A moment, a moment of, for a moment of uh, relief, they have to sort of uh, clap each other uh, about it. But I agree, they should in public at least. Um, they, they need to observe the social distancing rules the rest of us have to observe, and they need to set a role model for that well, as well. Doesn't this, this kind of gathering have to be banned? I mean, I've been having people getting in touch with me since last night, people who run businesses, uh, people who run clubs and pubs, saying, we can't open. We are being told we might not be able to open for the rest of the year. And yet, these people are effectively having a party every Thursday night. Well, as I said, I don't think it should have happened. They should have done the, had the social distancing rules, uh, as you mentioned. Cressida Dick had apologised for it last time. I'm surprised she didn't enforce it this time. It's incredible. So is it down to her to enforce it? Is it down to the government? Is it down to Sadiq Khan? Somebody needs to ban well, it. <laughs> uh, well, it's the, the police are the enforcement authorities, ah, it, obviously. I'm right. across, across the whole country. I'm they're the ones who are upholding the, the law and the regulations on this. And different police forces have interpreted it in slightly different ways in different parts of the country. And I'm sure you've covered some of that in the programme in the past. Well, these but, would be know, the same police who chased a friend of mine down an empty beach in order to hand her a piece of paper to say she shouldn't <laughs> be there on her own. Yeah, so I think what needs to be... And when I've been talking to my local council about it, and uh, there's been lots of questions about the police in my area of the country and elsewhere, is what you need is uh, good old-fashioned common sense. So what we have here is a whole load of guidelines. Normally, these would have been developed over years. Uh, we would have thought about every detail in every single different situation, and it would be a 1,000 pages long, and no-one would know the detail. What, we're, what the government is aiming to do here is to stop the spread of infection. That's the whole point and objective here. And if somebody is doing something like being walking along a beach uh, by themselves, then clearly they're not at risk of spreading infection, and the police should apply common sense to that. Yeah. Uh, if people are gathering in groups where they're uh, very close to each other and they are clearly increasing the risk of infection and there's no justification for them doing it, uh, then uh, the police should intervene and uh, stop them doing that and hold the guidelines. Yeah, absolutely I think one, right. one of the problems here is actually in a lot of circumstances, police haven't applied uh, common sense, and those are the ones where which have caused concern. So, like for example, in my constituency, the uh, the, the police sent out a, a message about uh, very glad to see that people weren't buying non-essential items in the Tesco. Yes, uh, and I remember that. The hills and checked. Yeah, and, uh, I actually highlighted that on this show, and before the end of the show, they'd apologised and pulled the tweet. I mean, if you buy if people going buying food, if you go and buy something that isn't essential, like I don't know, an Easter egg, it really does not increase the chance of infection. And the, the, I'm glad to say the Cambridgeshire Police did backtrack well, on that. Because the other, problem, 
The other problem here, Anthony, is I'm getting a lot of tweets from people this morning saying, why should we obey the rules? You know, some people saying, I wasn't able to see uh, my elderly relative before she died. I'm, I haven't seen my own children for four weeks because I think it's irresponsible to drive 50 miles down to Sussex to see them. You know, and people are beginning to say, why the hell should we obey these rules if the police are not doing it themselves? Well, absolutely, and that's why it's really important that uh, all people in public positions uh, uh, display behaviour in a way that expects the, the broader public to. It is really difficult for everyone. I know everyone's making sacrifices. Uh, I haven't seen my elderly parents since the whole lockdown began, much as a, you know, I'd like to and they would like to. Uh, we're all making sacrifices, and it would be a lot better, to, easier to keep everyone along with it uh, if everyone in the public position uh, behaves responsibly. And that's why I think things like on the Westminster Bridge, much as I understand the need for relief from the stresses, uh, it's important for, for medical staff and the police to show the rest of the public that we are all in this together. Absolutely right. Let's talk about the business side of things, which is what we wanted to get you on for in the first place. We had quite a lot of people contacting us yesterday from small businesses, um, happy that the furlough system seems to be working reasonably well although some people are still waiting for a bit of the money to come through but very unhappy about the fact that they've gone to the banks to ask for loans short term or otherwise to get them through this particularly troubling period not because they can't pay their workers but because they have other overheads which they need to pay uh, and without any money coming in whatsoever uh, they need yeah. to get the loans but the banks I'm being told are turning them down for loans sometimes because of the, of the fear that they don't believe the business is either is either viable or able to pay them back or two uh, because they don't think that, um, you know, this is the right time to lend them the money. And it seems to me to be a travesty uh, of a situation which the banks are taking advantage of. Yeah, no, I have the same concerns. I have uh, companies in my constituency who come to me and say uh, that, that, and complain about going to the bank and not getting a loan when they clearly feel they're justified. So the, the, there's a whole range of different issues here. So yeah. one is that the, the rules of the scheme have been changed by the Treasury about two weeks ago to make it easier for the bank, to make sure the banks lend the government back loan as first resort. Because what, when, the, when the scheme was originally designed, uh, the banks are only meant to give the government back loan uh, to companies that couldn't get a commercial loan. The right. banks are required to do a commercial loan, which is a lot more uh, difficult and arduous, and they want to make sure they get their money back, etc. Right. That's changed. So now when businesses go in there, uh, the, the government back loan, the coronavirus uh, business interruption loan, is meant to be the first uh, option they get. Mm. But it still goes to companies that were previously judged as being uh, viable, that were viable at the end of last year. Uh, and not all businesses uh, would be. I mean, there are some businesses that are about to collapse that probably shouldn't get the loan. Uh, but the trouble is the banks are still guaranteeing 20% of the loan. And that means they're required under current, reg current regulation uh, to go through a whole load of due diligence procedures that can be quite arduous, asking for lots of information about the government's, the company's financial yes. track record, their business plans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the businesses are on the cliff edge saying, I just need the money. Exactly I'm right. So I, I, is it possible for the Treasury to empower the banks to be able to be a bit more flexible and a bit more speedy? Uh, absolutely. So we've actually... Uh, uh, as a Treasury Select Committee, we have uh, uh, grilled the regulators on this and the banking industry mm. on this. Uh, the regulators, the Financial Conduct Authority, are loosening the rules to make it easier for the banks to lend money. So they don't, the banks themselves don't have to jump through so many hoops uh, to do it. But also the Treasury has uh, confirmed that they are thinking about uh, doing a 100% guarantee for the smallest businesses. And that's a huge step because that means that the banks no longer have to go through all their own due diligence processes right. and check that the companies are creditworthy. It means they can get the loans out. 
there is a moral hazard there. There is a risk they'll lend to lots of companies that can't repay it, and the government, by which we mean the taxpayers, will end up uh, picking up the bill. And you certainly don't want to end up with you know, absolutely vast unpaid bills at the end of this. So no, sure. Getting the middle road. No, we, we get that. But, but, I mean, but as, as we appear to be seeing movement in terms of uh, a slight lifting of the lockdown, I mean, there's lots of pictures in the papers today of, uh, of food outlets reopening, of people being out yeah. and about a little bit more. There seems to be more yeah, traffic on the roads. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. So it may well be that, that if we can continue sort of um, propping people up for a few more weeks, it might be that they can start making money again, and the sooner yeah. the better, really. But as far as those people who called me yesterday uh, who have been refused loans, some of them because they were told that their credit ratings weren't good enough and that kind of thing, should they go back to that bank then and say, look, you know, we've had a word with the Treasury so Select Committee... And... I, I've, had, I've definitely had businesses in my constituency where I've had this uh, conversation. They first went to the bank, they said no, but actually the, the rules in the banks are changing on a not-quite-daily basis, but every few days. Right. And it might well be that it's worth the businesses going back to their bank and saying, uh, what about now? The other thing is, uh, bank, go around to different banks. You don't have to go to the bank where you've got your personal or your business account. You can okay. go to other banks. And I know a lot of businesses do that. In Britain, but we've got a, a sort of cultural tradition that we only go to the bank where we have our current account uh, for loans. Right. But actually, uh, you can go to any bank for loan. And the other thing is, you can go to, and I've been helping uh, businesses in my constituency with this, you, if you think you're really being unfairly uh, turned down for a loan, you can go to your MP, and your MP can escalate it to the bank headquarters. And okay. MPs up and down the country are doing this. Well, that's helpful. Thank you very much indeed. The final thing, I suppose, that's still a bit of a bugbear for some people is this business of the, the new job starters, the people who originally were, were getting a, a job sometime in late February, early March. I know the date was moved, I think, to March the 19th. Um, yeah. Is there anything for, for those people who are still finding it difficult? Because there are those who have been in touch again with me and this show to say that, you know, they've tried to go back to their old employer and get uh, rehired in order to be furloughed. That's not working because it's only a voluntary scenario anyway. What can they yeah. do? So it is difficult. As you said, we ch the government changed the deadline to March the 19th. Yeah. And the reason for that deadline being put in place to start with was because of the risk of fraud, that you could have had yes. people sort of inventing... Yes, uh, and I totally understand them, that. I totally and, get that. And putting them on furlough. furlough. So uh, that's why they, there was a limit to how, they could, how far they could change the deadline. But I, I totally accept there are still people who fall between the cracks. Yeah. One, one of the... Uh, I mean, a bigger picture here. I keep being asked by um, constituents, but also you know, different people on radio shows like this, saying that there's gaps in the system here. What the government has done uh, in the last few weeks, in the last month, is what would normally take years. They've yes. done it in weeks. And mm. there's a trade-off between simplicity and uh, or complexity and speed. Like mm. The more complex you make a, a, pr a programme, the longer it will take to roll out. Yeah. And the government decided, we've just got to do this big, do it quickly. And that means being really, really simple. So things like the grants of businesses, uh, the in the hospitality sector, £25,000 uh, grant if your rateable value is between £15,000 and £51,000. It's a really simple scheme. It yeah. means it could be rolled out in a couple of weeks. If they started tapering it and started doing all sorts of other things to it, uh, then it would have taken, you would have trained up people in district and local authorities to work out how the tapering works. You'd have had more complex software and it would have just delayed the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So there, there but are for, gaps, but for, like but for people whose who's rateable value is above 51,000, which apparently will, will count most pubs in London, you know, there's a lot of people missing out on that. Uh, no, there are, absolutely. 
and it's it is a hard it is a hard cut off and but it was done because if you had a tapering thing then you a uh, tapering system you would have had to train all the um, the boroughs in london and the district councils outside london uh in how to operate the tapering they'd have to work get software that could manage the tapering etc and it would just sort of delayed everything was if you just got a single amount which you don't have to uh means test effectively apart from a rateable value then mm. you can just get it out so that's why there are gaps in a way you wouldn't normally get in government policies um for the people who are changing jobs that you're asking about uh, so they can go back to their old employer and ask them to furlough, but as you say, it's not mandatory, uh, and that is uh, difficult. Uh, there is, um, they, um, they still have obviously access to universal credit, uh, which isn't as much money. Uh, absolutely get that, but there will be, uh, there will be some people who still fall behind the cracks. And I and other MPs will keep raising this with the government and saying we've got to think about these people. Yes, and anyone who is in that situation, I guess you would advise also to get in touch with your MP. And, and absolutely. I mean, the MPs are all, among of all parties, are working uh, absolutely flat out, helping mm. constituents in all sorts of positions. But and the people who do fall between the cracks, I mean, the universal credit is there. It has been made a lot more generous. Uh, the access to it has been made far quicker. Uh, people are getting the money, a lot more people are getting money up front. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, has been changed so that people will, who do fall between the cracks, will get far better support than they would normally get. Right, and Matt Hancock. And hopefully, was... as, as you say, this will, this will be, uh, you know, this is a really extraordinary steep downturn we have now. I mean, yeah. unprecedented in 300 years. Hopefully, it'll come back very quickly so that people won't be in this precarious position. For yes, long. I mean, Matt Hancock was on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning and, and, and very honestly just said he didn't know when the lockdown would be lifted, which I think is a refreshing way to answer a question for a politician. So long may that continue. But also, um, what's your sense of what's being said inside of Cabinet about whether uh, there is a row about whether, you know how soon we should do it? And I know the, the stock answer is, well, we have to take the science and, 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 and the evidence and all of that. But, you know, clearly there is a decision that needs to be made about the economy. And it is an extraordinarily complicated decision because there are so many different factors here. And it's based on something that we don't actually know, which is the the science behind the, the coronavirus. We're learning more and more about it uh, all the time. So, you know, will easing lockdown in various ways, will that lead to a resurgence in the epidemic? Because I think one thing that absolutely everyone agrees on is that if you had a, a new outbreak and had to do a new lockdown, yeah. that would be an incredible knock to confidence. Because uh, businesses, if they know the lockdown's coming to an end, then you can be optimistic you can get things going again you can you know rehire the staff get the systems going start selling but if you just think well we're going to lock down again in a few yeah. weeks then it will uh, you know really damage confidence far, yeah. far more so that's why the government said they've got to be sure there isn't a, a greater lockdown but it is a um uh, and it isn't really a trade-off between lives and uh, jobs which no. is sometimes for trade mm. because actually um the uh, letting the epidemic sort of resurge again, you know, if that happened, as I say, it would cost more jobs uh, in the long run. Yeah. And people having jobs is good for their health as well. It's good for having a growing economy is good for life expectancy and good for, you know, having people unemployed is bad for their health as well. So it's what the government has to do and what it is doing is taking everything into account. So the actual coronavirus epidemic itself, the impact uh, health-wise, uh, as well as economically of rising unemployment uh, and so on. And you put all those factors together and w what the government needs to do then is come out with a, uh, a, an easing of the lockdown when it can. And as you say, we don't know, the, we don't know how the coronavirus epidemic is going to progress, but clearly we have 
plateaued. And what, in what ways can it ease the, lock, ease the lockdown without leading to an increase in uh, infections again? So, you know, people are talking about schools, obviously, or, uh, you know, are there certain businesses like garden centres that yeah. can reopen without, without that? And that's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, clearly as a country we need to think about. Absolutely. Anthony, thank you very much indeed. Anthony Brown, Conservative MP for South Cambridge, a member of the Treasury Select Committee. Uh, for those people who were concerned about this yesterday, who tweeted me and who called into the show, I hope that was helpful. Uh, basically, the bottom line is go back to the banks, tell them that the, the, the rules have changed, tell them that you are entitled to a loan, and if that doesn't work, go to your local MP, get them to uh, to, to, to basically sort of barter on your behalf, uh, persuade, negotiate, do whatever you can. So do not just sit there and think that it's all going to go horribly down the swanny. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Dr Mike Smith, a very good morning and welcome back to the show. Oh, morning to you too, Mike, and to the listener. Thank you very much indeed. Now, before we go anywhere at all, let's just have a listen to Matt Hancock, uh, who was speaking to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning as she was talking to him about the lockdown. Uh, it's just so tempting to um, to speculate, but no, the truth is that nobody knows because it depends on how people behave and it depends on the progress of the virus. And I know that that is a um, I know that's a boring answer, uh, but it is the truth. And it's so we've answer. just got we've got to keep it and we've got to keep the measures in place until it's safe to change them. Matt Hancock there uh, saying that he just doesn't know precisely when the lockdown will be lifted, which I think is very candid uh, and very admirable, really, for a politician, Mike. Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, I mean, what he's saying in everyday language is that at present, you know, if you take 10 people who've got the virus and they pass it on to less than 10 people, then the reinfection rate is less than one which it is at the moment, right. uh, the, the new infections are going to plateau and then fall. Uh, if they only pass it on to, that those 10 people only pass it on to one because of good distancing and the washing of their hands and all the other procedures, then it's going to fall even more rapidly. Um, uh, what he's saying, I think, is uh, backed up by the fact that he doesn't want to give too much hope at the moment, although I'm quite hopeful that what we're seeing at the moment will see a reasonably sharp uh, drop-off um, and, you know, one can't be sure about that. And, um, and if, you, if, if you, as the Secretary of State, introduce that sort of idea too early, then people are going to get a little bit lax about washing hands and distancing and all the other procedures that we have to go through at the moment, which is most unreal and, of course, is damaging to the economy. And so politicians at some stage are going to take the economists' advice, perhaps as, um, almost as heavily as they're taking the excellent scientific and medical advice they're being given at the moment yes. in order to see that the... The country doesn't go bust. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the way that we we see these figures coming out every day, I mean, what can we as ordinary lay people make of the fact that, you know, the number of infections and the infection rate is going down? Because I suppose a question that I get asked quite a lot by people is, how do we know, for example, that the uh, the virus is spreading less quickly? Uh, is it is it because the number of people being infected is, is, is coming down or is it because of the number of people dying that's coming down? No, it's because the number of people being reinfected is going down, Mike. Right. It, it, you see, as I say, if you if you th think in terms of one person, it gets a bit. It sounds a little bit more geeky. But if you think in terms of ten people, yeah. If ten people with the virus pass it on to less than ten, right. Then you're going to have a situation when they get over, as most of them will, fortunately, uh, when they get over their condition. The ones they pass it on to, when they get over their condition, they're passing it to fewer than their number right. is. Then, of course, that will go down like that, the reinfection rate. And that's, um, you know, P Professor Whitty keeps pointing that out, that right. it is less than one, which okay. is highly fortunate. Well, that is good, isn't it? The, 
And does yeah, that, does that mean that there's an element of herd immunity going on then? Well, it, it's, uh, the herd immunity will, is, is not the, the big factor at the moment. It's the numbers of new cases falling off. Um, they're, they're not able to put, properly test for antibodies at the moment because the test for, for is, is wanting. I can't remember exactly why, but it is. So what they're testing for is the antigen. Now, without getting too difficult, <laughs> the right. antigen is the chemical in the blood, if you like, that stimulates our own natural immunity antibodies to rise. Yeah. The antibody test that they have at the moment isn't isn't very um, reliable and therefore they're using antigen tests to see how many people if you like are um, impervious to further infection yes. um, uh, it, it does get very technical uh, stuff and difficult to communicate in everyday language yes because of course also one of the announcements yesterday from Matt Hancock was that people who are key workers will now be able to get the test as well as NHS workers but unfortunately, the human beast being what it is, uh, it would appear that mo more people than, than required have now applied to do those tests. And I suspect it's people who just want to have the test kit in case they need to do the test. But this is a test to see whether you actually have it as opposed to the antigen test. And unfortunately, yeah. there's not a lot of point, it seems to me, in taking that test unless you have symptoms. Well, uh, yes, there is, in fact, uh, because, in fact, many people that get the uh, virus don't have symptoms. They, you know, I can't remember what the proportion is, but it is a considerable proportion. Yeah. And um, if, if they're doing 51,000 tests a day at the moment, within the coming days, coming certainly before the end of the month, they're going to be doing 100,000. Now, if they do that and then do the track and trace business, they'll be able to uh, con contain it again in another way, in that they can track people, especially if they use this app on the mobile phones, uh, that they've been in contact with, the people infectious have been in contact with, so they can then um, lock them down for, for the 14 days, so that they then don't pass it on, so that that's another way in which they can, can control it out over and above the... Um, the lockdown for all of us, you know, locking down that particular group of people who they can show definitely are in the position to be able to pass it on. Yes, but of course, if I took a test, right, because I'm now entitled to as a key worker, and I was negative, I would learn nothing, yes. wouldn't I? I'd learn nothing. Um, no, but the the statisticians, uh, the epidemiologists would learn a lot uh, because they'll they'll know what proportion... Um, and that comes into it too in planning for for the immediate future. You know what proportion are uh, not infected uh, compared with those that are. Um, and uh, you know it really does <laughs> when you mention statistics to the average individual, which most of us fall into that category. Yes, um, it's a it's a switch off because it is a very technical subject to try and deal with and to try and explain. To, to in everyday language. Yes, it is tricky, isn't it? Because that's the thing. We still, I mean, every medic that I speak to says, you know, there's still an awful lot we don't really know. Uh, but it seems that we've learned a lot in the last two to three months, haven't we? Oh, yes. Yes, a massive amount. And I mean, if we were to get another pandemic of a, a different coronavirus, and this one is a, a highly infectious, you know, much more so than the flu one, which is another coronavirus uh, of a different nature, though, um, we, we'd be better prepared uh, um, in, in, in epidemiological terms to know what to do about it quickly. I mean, if, if in fact, we'd, if, if China... China was in a sort of lockdown, and not in lockdown, a denial initially, yes. and, and not claiming that they claiming it wasn't what it was. Had we had access to it then, 
a lot could have been done to save the whole world getting done um, in the way that it has. Um, and, and we must prepare for that in the future so that if any country gets any sort of suggestion that something like this is about to start because it's transferred from animals into the uh, humans being affected as well, uh, then, you know, we'd be better in a better position to deal with it. Yes, of course. I mean, the trouble with the Chinese situation, of course, is because we can't really trust exactly everything that comes out of there, you can't necessarily base any science on what they're telling us because I don't for a minute believe that they somehow had fewer uh, deaths from COVID-19 than we had. Yeah, well, no. It, uh, that I, can't I, be right, yeah. can it? Uh, well, no, no. The, the, and the people that have gone into it would agree with you, certainly. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, that's so, yes. Right. And the World Health Organization hasn't exactly played a blinder here either. Well, no, there's been, but mind you, to give them their due and to give everybody their due, initially when, when it hit us, um, they were all in the dark yeah. because of the denial by China. Had they, had they known early on, um, the WHO and all the other experts would have been well onto it. But in fact, they didn't have that initial warning, which would have been the real starter gun for all that should have followed. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as looking around the rest of the world, I mean, we're going to speak to people in, in later in this hour in France and in Spain. What, what are you seeing, uh, and if, if you are seeing anything encouraging, what, what are you making of the Swedish situation, for example? Uh, uh, yeah, Sweden didn't get too big of a problem, did they, from memory? Well, basically, um, they haven't had a massive problem, certainly no worse than ours, and, and some would say even better than ours, but it's a more rural country than ours as well. But they, what they haven't done is shut everything down. They've had some no, uh, restaurants remaining yeah. open, people sitting further apart, but, I mean, there are arguments being made for, for a, a lightening of, of, of that, you know, so that we could have the economy recovery. Yeah. No, it's a much smaller population as well. And as you say, in less dense places, I mean, Stockholm's probably the only dense, dense population in the country, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a great... Well, I suppose Malmo's a reasonable-sized city, but it's not huge, Yeah, I it? suppose it is. That's the second one, yeah. yeah. Having been to Sweden decades ago, I remember it well, and how Stockholm did vary when one got a chance to look at the rest of the country. I was doing temporary work out there, and, right. um, yeah... Okay. Yeah, I think that's the prob that's the probable reason is the population rather than the virus and yes. the individual. But that is the other difficulty with this whole sort of the, the numbers game because different countries seem to be measuring things slightly differently. It may not be very different, but slightly differently in terms of yeah. you know we keep hearing, for example, the care home problem in this country is probably going to be worse than the uh, the number of deaths from people dying of COVID nineteen in hospitals. And yet that's yeah. not really being counted because the world measure is basically people in hospitals dying. So it's a, it's a bit hit and miss, isn't it? Well, it is. But I, I hope we learn from it. And as a result, as I say, I'm better prepared should anything like this happen again, and, um, which I hope it doesn't. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you've got to go back really to 1918 to see anything like this. Yeah. Um, you know, when 50 million people died because of flu um, at the end of the great first yeah, war, first right. world war. And yeah. I mean, imagine how different the world is now. I mean, had the um, um, the Chinese people not been travelling quite as far as they have uh, been doing in the last few years, and as they as they were doing around about Christmas time, you know, perhaps we wouldn't have had quite such bad of an outbreak in the rest of the world anyway. No, 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 quite right, mm. indeed, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, that's another factor to be taken into account in the future. It is indeed. Now, what did you make of the President of the United States' um, outburst the other day? I mean, even his own medical officials seem to be a bit alarmed by what he had to say. But, I mean, well, there are those well, who are saying he's not actually calling for people to in, uh, inject themselves with disinfectant. But what, what, was he, what do you think he was trying to say? Well, I, I hope he was trying to say that if you got a something that would kill the virus, which was compatible with the way in which our bodies work, yeah. the physiology, 
um, that would be a step forward. But just to say a disinfectant, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, I suppose it's because for most of us, I'm assuming he's talking about a bottle of Dettol, but of course he might be, <laughs> well, he might be using the word in a different way. In fact, I think we've got the clip. Let's have a listen to it. Disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. So it's not quite yeah. him saying you should be basically getting yourself a needle and putting Dettol in it and sticking it into your arm. No, I mean, I hope what he's saying uh, is there's something which would destroy the virus Mm. whilst not uh, destroying the body, not doing any harm to the body. Well, of course, you know, it would be ideal. There is research going on at the present to to try to find something that will do that. In the past, in the case of viruses, we've always relied upon giving an antigen, that's to say something that will make our body's immune system get to work and produce antibodies. Yes. And we've relied on that, as we do when we have those vulnerable have the um, yearly flu injection. Yeah. Um, And and we don't necessarily... We have the antivirals, but they don't work... I mean, they work well in the case of HIV, for instance. If we could find an antiviral, I suppose you could... To, to protect him, say that you could consider that to be a disinfectant, i.e. it disinfects the individual with that virus. But yes. it's certainly not a disinfectant in the dental. No, no, of course of course not. And what about the vaccine talk that we're hearing? Because a lot of people seem to doubt the efficacy of doing uh, a, a sort of rush job on any vaccine and, and trying to make it ready sooner than it would otherwise be. Uh, and therefore, so it wouldn't be ready in September. It would more likely be next year or maybe the year after. Well, yeah, you, you've just got to be sure it's safe. And that's one of the reasons why they have to do so many tests. And uh, that uh, a very uh, able, not just in communication, but as a virologist, the professor in Oxford who started these tests before the rest of the world. I mean, with normally, I hope she's going to cut the time that it would normally take because of the seriousness of, the, of this pandemic and also the fact that uh, they're pulling out all stops to get through that process as quickly as they can. Mm. Now, if they do get a safe anti Gen, which is what um, uh, the injection is, uh, so that they can give it to people, then our own antibodies will build up against it. And, and rather like the yearly injection for the flu for the vulnerable, um, we'll have uh, protection of the population for uh, against this COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely right. Dr Mike Smith, thank you very much indeed. Regular commentator on the NHS, of course. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are now at that time of the day where it's just after 12.30. It's time for our homeschooling section. So if you haven't done it yet, uh, get your children around the radio, have them listen to the words of wisdom that you're about to hear uh, today. Uh, we're looking into primates and we're joined, of course, by Chris Packham, wildlife presenter and campaigner. He's got a TV show coming out at the weekend uh, all about primates, lemurs, monkeys, bush babies, great apes, absolutely astonishing creatures, amazing creatures, uh, and Chris is going to tell us all about them. Chris, a very good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Thank, I'm not bad, actually, considering the, uh, the, the, the vagaries of the world at the moment, but uh, I suppose, I mean, I don't know, but um, I suppose you would have shot this a while ago, but, but I suppose that the natural world is, is in a kind of interesting place at the moment, isn't it, because of all the, uh, um, the, sort of the, the, the slowing down of human activity, I suppose. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, we can speak with some observation here in the UK, and we are seeing those species which are typically influenced by human disturbance mm. in our countryside as, as likely to prosper this year. Far fewer people walking their dogs in the countryside, so ground-nesting birds will probably have a bumper season as they're disturbed by them. Obviously, in urban and suburban areas, less petrochemical consumption is going on uh, through vehicle transport, and as a consequence of that, we know that bees and other pollinators can smell flowers more effectively so they're likely to be prospering and the flowers of course too that they're pollinating the, the one problem we have Mike is that typically at this time of year all of us amateur naturalists and professionals too will be out in the field monitoring the distribution and populations of wildlife um, and we're not able to do that so a lot of the effects of this may be hidden to us but due to the inavailability of data because we can't get out there and everyone's behaving themselves at the moment well we, we wish most well most of us are anyway but there's still a few idiots out there, but never mind. Let's, let's ignore them. Let's talk about primates, because this is a fascinating uh, series by the looks of it. 28 filming expeditions across the world, you know, all the way from Sumatra to Brazil to Morocco. Um, tell us a bit about what we're going to be seeing. Well, it's an extraordinary series. It's very beautiful to look at. The camera work is, is, is absolutely stunning, and that gives you a chance to immerse yourself in these animals' environments. You really feel like you're there with them. Um, a great range of species. When people think of primates, we normally think of the great apes, the gorillas, bonobos, chimps, orangs, those that we feel the closest affinity to. But they also include the lemurs, the tarsiers, the lorises, the bush babies. And, and this series does its best to, to spread out uh, uh, an interest across all of these groups of animals. Lots of new science. I mean, science is always ongoing. There's always people out there sticking their noses into other species business. And there'll be a lot of, of surprising things. I think, you know, some of the ideas that we had about the way primates lives are going to be turned on their head with it with this series um so that's good and obviously conser conservation too we know mm. that you know 70 percent uh, 75 percent of our climate uh, primates are in uh, decline 50 percent in danger of extinction so 
you know, we, they do need our care. And Programme 3 is very much about conservation and how we're using modern technologies and new ideas to better look after these animals in the wild. Is there still a problem with gorilla poaching and, and, and that kind of thing um, in, uh, in, the, in, when in the mountains of, of the Virunga National Park? They've got over 180 rangers have died protecting them. You know, it's a dreadful toll uh, that goes on there, isn't it? It's extraordinary, isn't it, really? Yeah, we think of ourselves as being on the front line of conservation in the UK, but we've really got no idea. You know, these guys and women too are going out there into the jungle to protect these animals. Uh, tourists come to see them, provide them with a livelihood. We do what we can to properly equip them and train them, but mm. obviously they're in a very volatile part of the world. Um, you know, Demo Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, all of those areas Uganda have had in, in our, our lifetimes a, a lot of turmoil. So it's been difficult to look after them. What we're worried about at the moment, Mike, if I'm very honest with you, is is that there aren't any tourists visiting. So the yeah. input, you know, financial input into those communities has dropped off. There won't be the impetus for them to go out and, and monitor those gorillas every day as they would be doing if they had visitors. And who who knows what's going on with the poaching? And that's something that we're very, very worried about. No, of course. And they're such beautiful creatures, aren't they? They're so, uh, I mean, you kind of hesitate to use the word human-like, but they sort of are. You can see emotion in their faces. You can see see different expressions in their faces as well whenever I've watched anything about gorillas and not so much the, the chimpanzees. But the chimpanzees are also fascinating creatures as well. Yeah, I mean, they're closest relatives. More than 90% of our DNA is shared with these animals. Um, there are lots of parallels between the way that they live and we live. They're, they're long-lived, they're mm. social animals, they invest a lot in parental care, it takes a long time for their young to reach maturity. Um, they have individual vocalisations, essentially a language. Um, and they communicate facially using their expressions. And one of the unique things that we learn in the series is that chimpanzees are also using gestures. Right. So they're using various little repeated behaviours, one of them is dropping stones, to communicate to others in their group. Um, and we probably suspected that this would be the case because of their complexity of communication. But it takes a lot of diligent work to go out into the field and watch these and watch the reaction yeah. of the other chimps once a, the gesture's been made. But we've established that. And the other surprising thing, I mean, I'll blow one of the best stories from, from the first programme, <laughs> which goes out on Sunday, 8.15, BBC right. One, is... Um, is that we typically think of gorillas, the male silverbacks, as huge, powerful, you know, enormously strong animals. And we imagine King Kong and Mighty mm. Joe Young beating their chest. It turns out that the most successful male gorillas in terms of producing more offspring are those which display the greatest degrees of tenderness to their young. So mm. the most cuddly males observed by the females can actually sire five times the number of offspring than those that just stand there beating their chest. Interesting. So, you know, yeah, it is, it is, because, you know, as I said, they're long-lived, and you can just imagine these female gorillas watching over a period of years as one of these young male grows up, looking, you know, at how well he is at looking, you know, after his young, after, the, you know, those displays of strength yes. have, have led to, to, to mating, um, and then they choose that particular male. It's fantastic right. stuff. And it is, and, and I've seen previous programmes about chimpanzees and how they can fashion tools out of various things and they can, they can learn quite quickly... This is, this is possibly going to sound like a really idiotic question. Please tell me if it is. But when the, the evolution of, of these creatures goes on, where, at what point does it stop? Because presumably if we have sort of come in some way from there, um, at what point does, does their evolution stop and ours begin, if you like? 
It's a great question, actually, and, it, and, and it's not a stupid question because I think a lot of people are brought up with the idea that evolution has stopped and yeah. that we are the be-all and end-all of it. Um, it couldn't be further from the truth. Evolution continues every second of every minute of every day mm. in every species. You know, we are evolving, um, and so are all of those other species. I sometimes worry that we're evolving backwards. <laughs> well, devolving in that case. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a degree of that. Well, certainly culturally, you might argue that that was the case. And yeah. cultural evolution is as an important as physiological e evolution. But no, it goes on. And, and we're seeing real changes in our lifetime. And moving away from the primates, I can tell you that, you know, since 1970, the, 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 the beaks of blue tits and the great tits in the UK have grown in length. Really? Because we spend, yeah, because we put so much food in feeders for mm. them, as opposed to people on the continent, that, uh, that scientific studies that have contrasted the UK and the Netherlands, as it turns out, show that our great tits have grown longer beaks. Other birds that are not, not migrating as much are shortening their wings. Mm. So this is a change in the physiology and, 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 and the body of these animals in, in real time. We're talking 25 years. It's quick. You know, evolution is not something that takes millions of years. If there's an opportunity for an animal to prosper, um, it will take that straight away and make those changes straight away. No, of course. And I'm quite partial to orangutans and, and macaques as well, so I can just quite, quite like saying macaque. Um, have you got a favourite uh, primate by any chance? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm drawn to the lemurs. Right. Um, so the lemurs are those animals which live on Madagascar. Um, and they are extraordinary in their diversity because well, Madagascar separated from Africa. A proto-primate went over and, it, and evolved into lemurs. They're found nowhere else on Earth. Right. Most of them are endangered. But they've occupied all of the different niches, as it were. So this one group of animals does a tremendous range of, of different things. Um, some are nocturnal, some are diurnal, some spend a lot of time on the ground, some up in the in, in the top of the in, in top of the canopy and we've got some great lemur behavior in this one of the species actually uses ants to produce an insect propellant oh, really? so it, it, it antagonizes ants and wipes them onto its fur and as it's doing so they spray the fur with formic acid and this is a, this repels mosquitoes so they're using their own you know methods to generate an insect repellent to keep mosquitoes off of them which is pretty cool but as i say in the series lots of, uh, of things like that capuchins you, you mentioned um you know they're using tools to get lizards out the macaques uh, are, are using tools as well which are, are, are really smart um, and uh, spider monkeys you know female spider monkeys climbing down and choosing very specifically the things they eat other species of monkey using squirrels to actually open a fruit which they can't open themselves yeah. so encouraging the squirrel to do that and then chasing the squirrel off so they can eat they can eat the fruit themselves so they're quite complex as you say relatively intelligent certainly the great apes have you know uh, uh, cognitive powers are, are are significant you know chimpanzees probably the same degree of intelligence as a three three and a half year old human child mm. so they're pretty smart um and again you know that sometimes means they're difficult to study. So the team that have made this series worked really hard to meet all the right scientists with their finger on the current pulse of, of what we're learning about these and then go out and film it. And as you mentioned, it was all filmed before lockdown. These sorts of programmes take several years to make. Yes. And we, we finished it uh, some time ago. OK, and how many parts does it have? 
three parts. Um, the latter part is principally about conservation. As I mentioned, there's a great mm. sequence in there with orangs. Uh, uh, You'll like that. So you know, obviously, that unfortunately people go into the forest, they shoot the females, they take the youngsters for the pet trade. Some of these are then recovered, and people work very hard to make sure that they get back into the wild and play a functional ecological role. But humans are terrestrial. We're on the ground. So when they're taking them into the forest and teaching them to be wild orangs, they're doing it on the ground problem is that orangs are highly arboreal. They spend most of their time in the upper parts of the forest canopy. So they weren't learning to find the right fruits in the right way with the right degrees of efficiency. So what the uh, carers have done is learn to climb. So they've literally got the ropes on and the harnesses and the helmets and they're hoisting themselves into the very tops of the canopy trees and these tiny, fragile little young orangs are climbing up the vines and the arnas. You know, so it looks quite perilous, but that's what, they're, you know, that's what they've evolved to do. And they get up the top there and they're learning to explore that environment at a much younger age. And this is greatly improving the rehabilitation success of this species in this project. So... You know, we know orangs are in trouble, um, but we are also coming up with means of getting those that we can back into the wild. And, and one last thing, this series will off, uh, offer an opportunity to see a new species of orang, a thing called the Tapanui orangutan, okay. uh, uh, which has never been filmed and, and shown before. So that, that's really exciting. Well, I should look forward to it. It's a Sunday night, uh, Chris Packham. Uh, it's a show called Primates, 8.15, BBC One. Uh, sounds tremendous. Chris, thanks very much indeed uh, for telling us all about it. Uh, we've got much more to do before Ian Collins gets here at one o'clock. Um, guess what? Uh, it's going to be the Perrier Awards. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.46 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. favourite part of the week where we get to do the Perry Awards, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting, uh, and I'm delighted to say uh, we are joined once again uh, by producer Marta Malagon. A very, very good afternoon to you. Very good afternoon to you. How's Thank it going? It's good. We've had another good week, I think. We've had yeah. uh, some interesting stories, some great guests, some mm -hmm. tremendous callers. I'm very happy about it. I'm hoping that I haven't made too many mistakes. Um, but you never know, do you? Really? I know the answer to this, yes. and I can tell you. Tragically. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to be happy. Well, you will. I don't mind. We will. Um, anyway, welcome to Thank the you very much Awards. Indeed. Regular listeners uh, know what's going on, but the new listeners, which we're getting like... We're getting loads thousands, of new listeners, yes. Hundreds of thousands Absolutely. Every Thank you. Welcome to all of you. Welcome. Uh, I should explain, this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called... So-called. So-called, so-called Independent Republic of My Grammar Talk Radio and choose that favourite moment, yes. which really means I just basically pick on your mistakes <laughs> and I have a little bit of fun. Uh, but, you know, it's all good. It's all friendly. That, of course. Uh, as it's tradition, Mike, the first pair goes Thank you. to you and it's the classic wrong namer of the week. Which is highly embarrassing to Prince Win to Prince uh, Harry, rather. Um, you know, begging Charles Markle to talk to him. <laughs> I love this one because you, you hear the first bit and you think, oh, this is it. But yes, no. <laughs> no, it's the second bit. But I've worked out why that happened because mm. I was talking to Charles Ray and mm. I was looking at the screen and I could see the name Charles and yes. I just said Charles Markle. And you could have also easily thought Prince Charles because, Prince you know, Charles, he's the yes. other, you know, dad of the Yes, it's story. very true. So, you know, it is it is an understandable It is, of one. course, Thomas Markle. It is Thomas Markle. Who happens to be the subject of this uh, court case today. Yes. Or he's one of them, anyway. Yes. Mm. 
Well, that would be an interesting one to watch, wouldn't it? We're looking forward to it. Oh, very good. Yes. Uh, executive editor of the Times Monument, Gemma, not Jerry Godfrey, yes, as you that's uh, right. announced last week. I got it right week. this week, I think, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you did. I got the name right. So what if you found something else wrong with it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she came on the show earlier this week and provided very useful financial advice. And she also provided the clarification of the week. You know, we're relying on these payments to be able to fund our retirement. And the bigger the gap gets... You know, the bigger, again, the gap gets, you know, the more money that's going to have to be contributed. You also heard, we also heard, yes. Oh, gosh, you can't, that was you can't, a long argue, clip. can't argue with that. Can't really. argue that. The bigger the gap gets, the bigger the, the gap bigger gets. The bigger the gap gets. Yeah. So, you know, she's completely right. It's a self fulfilling uh, comparison gosh, in many ways. Yes, yes. It's true. Very good. Thank you. Sometimes you use very long words. Yes. And I'm like, oof. You know, Sorry. I need a nap. Okay. Don't forget I'm Spanish. I know, I know. Well, luckily, I can't use long words in Spanish. That's very true. Yeah. I'll teach you some long words in Spanish one day. I could do the homeschooling section. We could do maybe. the homeschooling, yeah, why and not? I'll do it, right. I'll do it. I'll show you. Um, Esternocleidomastoideo. Oi. Which is the muscle you've got here. Is it? Which, uh, I don't know how you call it in English. Yeah, the one here. Is it like the, I don't know, actually. I don't know how like you call it. Behind the know. collarbone. The one yes, behind. yes, the one behind, yeah. Yeah, hang on, I don't know what you know. I don't even know what that is in English. Well, <laughs> neither do I. Uh, anyway, I'm doing it again this week. Yes. Caller Kenin Ascot wins the Perry for Impression of the Week. You know, that lady over from California, <laughs> you know what I mean? Harry! Yes, Harry! Yes. This is a guy doing an impersonation of me doing an impersonation of Meghan Markle. That's great. That's fantastic. All we need is someone now doing an impersonation of Ken, Ken. an impersonation of you. We could do this all, Megan. yeah, we could do this all week. So, you know, 03444991000. Well done, Ken. Well done, Thank Ken. you, Ken. Thank you. Uh, the next pair award is for you, Mike. On Tuesday, we were joined by former Conservative MP Stuart Jackson. Yes. And you delivered the good wish of the week. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Stuart, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Enjoy painting your front door black. <laughs> Well, he said he was going to. I know, but I just thought it was so random. Yes. Do you know, somebody picked up on something that I did say, which I, even I was quite proud of, mm -hmm. where uh, I, when he said he was going to paint his, his door black, I said, did it used to be red? Oh. Now, you don't get that, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Because there's a Rolling Stones song called Paint It Black. Ah, And oh, the yeah. lyric says, yes. I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Okay. So that was extremely clever. And one guy picked it up. I picked good. it up. Very good. Thank we don't you. deserve you. I'm on so many we different really layers. Don't, honestly. You know? Anyway. Well, there's the first something you learn every day. So yes. thank you for that one. Thank you. I'll go and listen to that song on the way home today. Right. Uh, columnist for the New York Observer and occasional talk ready presenter, Andrew Walker. Yes. He's won a parody reward for providing the sound effect of the week. That great Western companies are bought up on the cheap by China, assisted by the list of all our old favourite people. I, I loved it when he did that. I was like, why is he doing that? I just thought, you know, do you think he's prepared this? Like, you know, before the... Because, you know, mm. we booked him earlier in the morning. Yes. Do you think that she, he goes and is like, OK, today I'm going to... Or maybe someone dared him. Right. You so impersonate a bugle. Maybe, maybe soon... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> or maybe someone was like, look, you know, instead of like saying certain words, yes. you've got to do like a silly sound effect. Yes. You've got to I liked it. it. I'm not against it. I encourage it. Yes. In fact, I am very tempted mm. to just impose this as a rule. Like, if you come in as a guest on the show right. and it's not like a horrible, sad story, yes. you've got to do your own sound effects. I'm, I'm all for that. So, you know, also yeah. also the less work for Mark, the better. Yes, because, exactly you know, right. There have been a couple of slip-ups this week, but oh, I will not get to that just no. yet. Okay. And uh, don't worry, dear listener, I have not forgotten. I'm only just pretending because, uh, you know, I've got nothing to look forward to after this show today because we're in lockdown. I finished my jigsaw puzzle. 
with a well, terrible result. Terrible result. Are you going to share that? It's very difficult, but I think it's good to open about this. I thing. think it's hilarious. So a thousand piece <laughs> jigsaw, right? It's yeah. in the aerial view of Barcelona. Gorgeous, I thought. It's great. It's going to remind me of right. home. I'm going to hang it on a wall mm. and I'll wake up every day to it. Yeah. It's taking me about a month to complete because I don't have a lot of time and when I get home, I'm exhausted, sure. whatever. So I finished it the other night and there's two extra pieces. The, 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 there's no place for them to go. They are uh, duplicates because I found the ones that are duplicates. So there's ah. like two pieces that they're already there. But there is one piece missing. <laughs> so it's not finished. I can't That's finish brilliant. it because there's... And, and we are this is pretty why, sure. This is why I don't do jigsaws. No, th I'm quite rightly so. You know, I would be killing really somebody. Annoying. I would be killing someone. I am very tempted. Yeah. But anyway, I shall not do that. And instead, I'm going to play you not the Megan impressions because it's not just Megan anymore. Right. Here's this week's compilations of Mike's Megan and Harry impressions. And Megan... We're not going to say anything anymore. We're just not going to talk to anyone anymore. Here's a letter that explains it all. <laughs> Darling, I found a great song uh, that I want to play you. It's a song about elephants. <laughs> I love elephants, Harry. What's the name of the song? Uh, it's um, uh, Ebony and Ivory. It's all about elephants. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. I love elephants. What's happening, Harry? There are pictures all over the papers of Louis. Well, uh, uh, he's our nephew. Uh, you know, uh, he's our nephew. I want to be on the front page, Harry. Harry! He, he sounds a little bit like Boris Johnson. Yes. And Cornelius, a former lady show. Yes, and also I've, I've detected listening back to it. I don't know if you've seen Men in Black, the movie. Yes. But do you know the bug? when the bug comes uh, down to earth and you know takes what? the guy's skin. I wouldn't know that because I've seen Men in Black dubbed in Spanish. Oh, OK. Well, he kind of talks... because <laughs> he's got this kind of weird thing going on with his face. Oh, dear. So I think I've taken a bit of that as well. Yeah, that's mm. good. That's... But it's very good, very enjoyable. Yes, bad news for uh, Meghan and Harry, of course, because uh, as much as they'd like to stay out of the papers, they're now currently embroiled uh, in what's going to be a pretty nasty lawsuit against the Mail on Sunday, which is going ironic, to be reported uh, in huge amount by the tabloids. <laughs> I'm Bless them. Uh, listen, I've got to race for the next one yes. because I keep talking, talking, talking. Here's another parry for the forgetful moment of the week. I've got a couple of good tweets to read out before I go to Gerard, uh, who is in crew. Uh, I've got this from uh, uh, somebody who's out and about listening to the show uh, as a new <laughs> listener, uh, but I can't find it now, so I'm going to have to read it out later on. Let's talk to Gerard instead. Hello, Gerard. <laughs> There's nothing more annoying. I know, I know. I don't know what you do with that. Well, you it's try, like, you know, you, well, the thing, you know what Twitter's like. It moves mm, around all the time, and I get yeah. a lot of tweets during the show. And when I think I've got one, and then it shuts itself down and reopens, and it's not there anymore. Oh dear, anyway. oh dear. Um, CEO of First Aid for Life, uh, Emma Hammond, wins yes. a perrier for the answer of the week. You can't really apply pressure to your head, can you? Well, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she explained how yeah. the towel. <laughs> Um, founder of Hospitality Union, Jonathan Downey, joined us earlier in the week to talk about how restaurants are coping with the coronavirus crisis. The conversation ended up on pubs, naturally. Yes. And you won a perrier for the lowest standards of the week. And uh, be served a pint by a bartender from behind a perspex screen is wearing a mask, you know. That's really? not the right atmosphere you want to create. I wouldn't care. At this point, I, at this point, you can you can serve it to me in a prison cell and not let me out for twelve hours. I'll be quite happy with that. Well, listen. Steady. 
I was only joking. I know you were, but you know, mm. still, I could, still I could very long standing. I could murder a pint, as they say. Yes. Well, you know, normally one day. speaking, we would be out there celebrating after a week like this. I know. I know, it's ridiculous. Look at... Well, anyway. We did discuss uh, breaking out the tent of common sense. But we I did, yeah. But I don't think it's going to be a goer. It's probably illegal, Yeah, isn't probably. It? Anyway, uh, this week there's no parry reward for the tall radio team of engineers. And right. I know they're going to be devastated. So I've decided to still highlight mm. the technical difficulties we've yes. had this week. Um, Chef Shivi Ramita was unfortunately one of the victims. Listen, you're lucky if you, can, if you can even tell what day it is at the moment. I mean, I sometimes oh. have to double check before I say anything. Mike? Yes. Can you still hear me? No. Hello? <laughs> we seem to have lost Chivy. That wasn't at 12 that 18. Didn't go well. Was it? <laughs> no. We seem to have overcome the 12 18. Yes, I think that's not a thing anymore. Okay, good. However, there's, a, there's another mystery. There's an incompetence report that nope. needs to be issued. Okay. But uh, I don't know who or what to address it to. Although I've got my suspicions. To be honest, Toby wasn't in this week, so I'm surprised there was any incompetence. Who? Toby. Who? Okay, whatever you uh, <laughs> uh, No, joking. Love you, Toby. Uh, I don't know who or what to address it to. Um, is it human error? Right. Is it the machine's fault? Uh-huh. Who knows? Uh, in the next hour, 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Talk Radio. Mm. You're very high. Your standards are getting higher, by the They're way. They're getting very, very, you know, very high. That was just a pause, wasn't it? Has this clip been tampered with? <laughs> <laughs> he shortened the pause. You know what? He joked about this earlier. He said he was going to shorten the pause. Has you? Have you? No, I don't think so. Well. He's, he's denying it. Well. Anyway, that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.